Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. How you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Come on, we got about five people doing well this morning. How many are you doing well this morning? Amen, amen. Well, you guys know the drill. If you could turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, give him a hug. We like to hug in church. And uh, turn to your second choice and tell him, go Seahawks. Go Seahawks. Come on. Go Seahawks. How many Seahawks fans do we have here this morning? All right. I love it. How many Niner fans? How many, how many New York Giant fans do we have here? All right, we ask you to leave at this time of the service. Come on, my Cowboy fans, how many of you are alive? And Amen, amen. Well, uh, I just want to, as we transition into, if you give me about 25, 30 minutes, I want to share just a few thoughts about Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, and how Christmas relates with anxiety. Uh, before I do that, I want to just thank Frank. Is Frank in here? I know we've we thanked him so many times, but I got to thank him. I love Frank. How many of you know Frank? The guy is, man, he's amazing. And uh, what he does with, with the kids, his patience. I mean, can you imagine working with kids for two and a half months? 70, do we have about 70 kids? We had about 70 kids, 80 kids, and working with kids for two and a half months, and he just demonstrated so much patience. He's amazing. I can barely handle my three kids. But, uh, but Frank, uh, we love you. I don't think you're in here. Uh, as Pastor Ken mentioned, he's won many Dove uh, Award stuff and stuff music. I think that's what we call it here nowadays, music, notes, something like that. But uh, he's, he's absolutely amazing. So if you see Frank today, can you just give him a pat on the back, give him a high five, give him a Pentecostal handshake, whatever, right? Just uh, bless him today. And I want to thank all of our volunteers and workers. You guys are amazing. We love you so much. I know Frank couldn't have done it without you guys. And uh, I'm glad you made it. Well, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 2, and uh, I'm just going to read about 15 verses, and then we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, again, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the peace of God, what Christmas means, and how that relates with um, anxiety. So we're going to begin in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. I think we have the scripture up behind me. And if you brought your Bibles, that's great. Uh, We're going to read straight out of the English Standard Version. Uh, Verse 1 reads, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds. Everyone say shepherds. Love the shepherds. Out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, everyone say the glory. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, everyone say behold. 
Behold, I bring you good news, not bad news, not okay news, not so-so news, but I bring you good news of great joy. Because you say joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with an angel a party. How many like parties? We've got a party, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, everyone say peace. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Verse 15 will end here, the Christmas story. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Quickly, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. We, uh, we've been in Philippians, uh, an expository series for over the, uh, I think the last two months. And uh, we're going to spend the next four weeks uh, talking about the peace of God, and we're going to conclude this this message uh, series at the end of 2017. Can you believe 2018 is right around the corner? It's crazy. Time flies. Lord, have mercy. Could you turn to your neighbor and give him a high five right now and just say, Lord, have mercy? So Paul, he's, he's, he's talking about anxiety, and there's a lot of things that he's uh, which we've, we've talked uh, through over the last few weeks. But he gets in verse 4 of chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And then verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness, which is an okay translation. The better translation would be compassion or faithfulness. Let your compassion be known to everyone. The Lord, everyone say the Lord. The Lord is at hand. And he continues in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. How many believe in prayer? And supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of who? The God of P who? Come on, somebody. And the God of? The God of peace will be with you. You, not the God of confusion, can I get an amen? But the God of peace will be with you. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? Father, I thank you for um, being with us today. Thank you for your grace. We bless you uh, this morning. And we thank you for our kids' choir, our kids' performance. We're so thankful, as Pastor Ken mentioned earlier, we're so thankful for your goodness, your presence, our kids. We're thankful for food. We're thankful for uh, life. We're thankful for all the achievements of Jesus. And so we just bless you this morning. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, I, I want to talk to you. This is what I've been thinking about over the last 
few weeks. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Mark Francie for speaking for me three weeks ago. And then Tracy, uh, my sister, she spoke, right, two weeks ago. And then uh, Pastor Ken, I, I, got, I got sick late Saturday night, and I knew I, could, I only had one Superman, right? And his name was Pastor Ken, so I called him at 8 o'clock at night. I'm like, Dad, you're going to have to preach for me, and then I was out, right? And uh, he came and spoke the next morning, and I heard it was incredible. But uh, we have a world-class teaching team. Can you give it up for Pastor Ken and Trace and, and Mark Francie? So uh, over the last week, I've just had some time to really think about uh, a lot of stuff. And man, I just felt like God put this in my heart. I think this is a message for maybe a lot of you in this room. And it's about fear. It's about anxiety. Uh, anxiety is, it seems, anxiety seems to be a way of life. Not just like a temporary emotion, but for a lot of people uh, in, in, in our country, it seems like we're experiencing a lot of anxiety and fear. I read this week a report that mental health and mindfulness and stress reduction apps are being purchased at, at a higher rate than ever before. Some of you have heard me say this uh, report or um, talk about this study. One report is that the average child today is experiencing the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Man, people are stinking afraid. People are afraid of terrorism. Uh, people are afraid of sickness. Man, we're, we're, we're seeing ugly things. Can I get an amen? On TV, right? And I think it's important as Christians that we think about the beautiful things, not the ugly things. Can I get a witness? Um, but there's a lot of the landscape of, of our of our world is, it just seems like it's riddled right now with a lot of ugly things, a lot of, a lot of fear mongering, a lot of anxiety. Anxiety is, it's a, in, in the words of one author, is a low grade fear. Anxiety is um, you painting with, with a broad stroke uh, a bleak picture of your future, right? It's, anxiety is, it's, it's a fear, but it's, it's imagining that your future uh, is gonna get, it's gonna get bad or it's gonna get worse. Anxiety is rooted in uh, fear. And one, one author, he, he mentioned um, in describing anxiety, he said, it's not the sight of a grizzly bear. If you saw, how many of you like to camp? A few of you like to camp? All right, this is the right church for you, for you if you don't like to camp, right? Okay. But some of you, you like to camp. And um, I remember I, I went camping uh, this year. Scott was with me. I called him the general. He did everything, right? And I, I remember, and I think I confess this, we almost died of, of exposure. Not, not joking. We, we didn't have sub-thermo, thermo, thermal, right, uh, bags, sleeping bags. So uh, I literally thought I was going to die. I thought my kids were going to die. But the thing that I was afraid of mostly, we were right by a, a river. I was afraid that grizzly bears were going to come across and drag me out of my tent and eat me in front of my family, Right. So the whole day I was thinking about grizzly bears and a little bit, if I can be honest, a little bit of Bigfoots, right? But when it hit nighttime and you're up in the mountains, it's summer, it, it just, it, it's just crazy. You don't want to do it, all right? Don't do it. But I, I started imagining the worst things, started imagining sounds, and I remember I didn't get to sleep until like 5.30 that next morning, imagining a worst-case scenario of being dragged out of my tent by a grizzly bear. Well, this author in describing anxiety says, it's not the sight of a grizzly bear, that's fear. If you saw a grizzly bear, 
uh, you should be afraid. You shouldn't grin it down. You should run for your life. Um, I don't think you should um, stop and play dead. I think bears invented that so they could eat you, right? <laughs> Come on, everyone said run, right? So you got to run, find a tree, whatever. Um, but you don't, uh, it, that's fear. If you saw a grizzly bear, uh, you should be afraid. But uh, it's not the sight of a grizzly bear, but the suspicion of one or two or ten that keeps you up. That's anxiety. Anxiety we find in Proverbs. This is a wisdom saying. says that uh, it weighs down, anxiety weighs a person down. Anxiety actually comes from a Latin word meaning uh, to strangle. Uh, worry, which is a corollary of anxiety, is derived from this Lith- Lithuanian word meaning to constrict. So anxiety and worry means to choke or to strangle. And some of you this Christmas time, you're feeling that. You're feeling that sensation of, I mean, you're thinking about the in-laws, they're coming into town, and you got to have the perfect Christmas, and Uncle Rico's coming, he's bringing his fruitcake, right? And you're just miserable because you don't want to eat the fruitcake again, but you got to please everybody. Um, some of you even more, like on a, on a serious note, maybe Christmas reminds you of your brokenness. Maybe it reminds you of, of lost family members. Maybe it reminds you that your life isn't right and you just kind of want to push through, you want to kind of get through Christmas. Maybe even some of you, you're struggling with uh, maybe a, a diagnosis. Maybe um, you're struggling with your health. I don't know what your issue is, but if, if I was a betting guy, and I'm not a betting guy, can I get any man to that? But if I was to say most of us struggle with this sensation of anxiety. The problem with anxiety, though, is that it doesn't just affect you. It begins to transform your whole psychological world, and you begin to lash out. See, I, I'm, I'm realizing that people who are irritable and temperamental and full of, of anger really are people that are afraid. People that are imagining a future that's bleak, like a dystopian future. They're imagining, in other words, their way of life is dominated by anxiety, not by peace, not by joy, but by fear. And we know that the Bible tells us that perfect love, what? Cast out all fear. The problem is perfect fear does the same thing to love. Perfect fear casts out all love. And when your life is dominated by fear, can I talk like this in church? When your life, your vision of life, your, your imagination or your forward look is defined by fear, that's going to turn into anger and self-absorption. And you can't love like Jesus wants you to love, and you can't be on mission like Jesus wants you to be on mission, and you can't build for the kingdom of God if fear or anxiety is your basic assumption. Not only is anxiety a low-grade fear, the cousin of anxiety is this, it's, it's, it's scarcity. Scarcity comes from a Latin word meaning like escarpus or something like that, and it simply means to feel deficient. It means to like, feel like you're not enough. Like, and it's funny how Christmas comes around, and if you're not careful, you can kind of get trapped into this like, Christmas logic that if you don't have this house, if you don't have this car, if you, don't have, if, if you can't provide for your family in this particular way, then you're not enough. For example, a couple weeks ago, I was watching, I think I was watching a football game, 
and a commercial came on. It was a Lexus commercial. I hate this commercial. And uh, the whole commercial, I can't remember all the details, but it's, it's, a, it's a husband, and uh, he's loaded, right? And uh, the next morning, uh, he, like, guides his wife out of the house, and there's this beautiful Lexus car with, like, a Christmas bow and everything, and you're supposed to feel nice and warm and fuzzy. I felt like death. Because in that moment, I'm like, oh, my God, I wanted to turn, my, turn to my wife in that moment and say, I have failed you as a provider, right? <laughs> I'm supposed to give you a Lexus, and I probably never will ever give you a Lexus. Isn't it funny how um, the commercialization of Christmas can reinforce this basic assumption that we're not enough, right? Not enough is rooted in fear. Not enough is rooted in worry. And if, if, and if you're not careful, if you allow not enough to def, uh, dominate and define your vision of the future and your relationship with the world and even your relationship with God, it's going to affect your ability to be who God has called you to be. So how does anxiety um, deal with or how, how does the Christmas story address anxiety and fear in our lives, right? When we think of fear and anxiety, I remember I, I, I would read Luke 2 all the time growing up, and I gotta be honest with you, I didn't really understand how a little baby Jesus could help my fear. I, that, that was just, I'm just, can I be honest? Growing up, I'm like, how? We're, we're singing about glory, we're seeing these angels, they're full of joy, it seems like heaven's having a party. How, how does a Christmas story put a full stop to my anxiety? And my fear that I'm feeling, because to be honest, I feel like I'm alone. Remember at times, or maybe some of you feel like you're not enough. Uh, let me just say this really quick. Anxiety, and I, I, this is just, I've, I've stripped it down to its roots. Anxiety is simply this assumption that God is not present. Anxiety can only function when you believe that God is absent from this world. And this is why the Christmas story is earth shattering because we find a God who is present. But let me just say three things and uh, I'm gonna work you into just some, some thoughts about the peace of God and then I'm gonna give you just some practical thoughts about how we can enter into God's peace. But the first thought about the Christmas story is that what we see is that creation is a heaven and earth construct. In other words, you see all these angels, right? You see a, kind of a glimpse into heaven. They, angels appear and it seems like they're having a party. Um, it just seems like there's a, like another world, another dimension that's kind of breaking out into creation. And that's the point that Luke wants to argue here as he writes about this story about little baby Jesus is that in the birth of Jesus, heaven and earth are coming together. In other words, creation uh, is a heaven and plus earth uh, construct. Heaven and earth are two halves of God's beautiful world, which is good news. It means that, man, we don't just exist on this single plane we call earth, which is our space. We don't just exist on this continuum of things where we have Starbucks and uh, we have a good time. We sing Christmas carols and we name our kids Theodore. I don't know where this is coming up. You know, it, 
whatever. Like we just kind of live our lives and, we, and we're, we're dominated by this, this material world and this material world is good. Can I get an amen? God created this world, singing Christmas carols, making people feel awkward, being embarrassed. That's, that's, that's all right. That's, that's okay because God has created this world. Um, but from a strictly materialist viewpoint, if this is all we have, if this, this world, earth itself, our space is all we have, then why do we care about anything? We don't have hope, we don't have meaning, and we don't have purpose. But this story is about heaven, God's space, breaking out into our space. Creation is a heaven and earth construct. And when we go back to the Genesis story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what we find, and I love it, that I, I don't love this part, uh, but I love how God redeems this part, is that Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and what that caused was a radical dislocation between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, we find in Genesis, were always meant to be together. They were designed to complement each other. It's through rebellion that they're radically separated. But in the Christmas story, what we find is a marriage. Heaven now is, is colliding with earth, with our space. There's now joy, and we can get a glimpse into heaven. In other words, heaven is not some like distant location in the space-time continuum 10 trillion miles away. Heaven is all around us. It's overlapping with our space. Can I get an amen to that? It's interdigitating, right? Come on, it's like, it's, it's, it's all over the place. And this is the beginning. This is the earth-shattering news of the Christmas story. Heaven now is flooding our space. This is why we can rejoice, because heaven and earth, or creation itself, is a temple. And this is what Luke wants to say. And God wants to fill creation with himself. Can I get an amen? Which leads me to the second thing. Little baby Jesus is a savior. Jesus is the savior of the world. What does that mean? Well, Luke is implying that creation is under enslavement. Under enslavement to the forces of anti-creation, entropy. We all know that death has affected God's creation, but it's in the birth of Jesus as the savior of the world that God will rescue our space, that God will rescue our bodies. Am I a little too loud this morning? That God will rescue our minds, that God will rescue our hearts, that God will put the cosmos back to rights. You see, the Bible and early Christians did not believe in the myth of progress. They didn't believe, in other words, in, in, in the words of a New Testament scholar, that the world is just going to get better and better under its own steam. No, the, the biblical authors and the early Christians believed that God had to act in a fresh way in creation, that we didn't have within ourselves the ability to transform the world. We have this story that Luke tells us that a little baby is born, and this little baby Jesus is the Savior, not just of souls, but the Savior of creation itself. Which leads to this angelic announcement. The angels, they appear to the shepherds 
and they announce peace and joy. They said, peace to the world. I remember I would read this and people would sing about glory to God in the highest and uh, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. And I gotta be, there was a season in my life I'm like, God, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of peace in this world. Feels like there's a lot of social unrest, right? And in this story, we have this radical announcement of peace on earth. Heaven now is crashing into our space. New creation is breaking out everywhere through the birth of Jesus. We now have the savior, not just of our souls, but the savior of creation itself. We know that in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, that God will have the last word over all things. And because of that, the angels can announce peace over earth. The problem, though, is that usually when we think of peace, there's people in our world, when they think of peace, they think of nirvana, right? They think of like some transcendent state where there's no suffering. They think of maybe being like a static, unchangeable, like uh, euphoric place where they're just kind of eating bonbons and, and like playing disembodied harps, right? That's what we think of peace. But Luke here redraws our portrait of peace. Peace, in other words, is, is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of chaos. Peace is not the absence of difficulty and turmoil. Peace, biblically, is redrawn about, around God being present in our lives. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's about God being present in our life. And this is why we have in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, which is a quotation of Isaiah chapter 7, that unto us a child is born and given, and you shall call his name what? Emmanuel, God with us. So here we have heaven and earth coming together. Here we have the Savior of the world going to rescue the cosmos itself and our bodies and maybe the Dallas Cowboys, okay? And, and because of this, like, this, this transition of, of things that are taking place, the angels can announce peace. And behind peace is the reality that God is fleshed out. God is present. God is with us. God, in other words, is not above us. God, in other words, is not somewhere out in the sky. Can I get an amen to that? God is not some like semi-18th century deist vision, like way out there, like an absentee landlord that kind of created everything, but left us to kind of like do, do our own thing. No, God's not uncaring. God's not uninvolved. God is not detached. God is not temperamental. God doesn't just think about you. God just didn't make you, right, and your unique personality and then leave you for the rest of your life. No, God, what we find in the Christmas story, is with us. See, the problem is, is that we have, for 200 years, we've colluded with this semi-deist vision of God. It's a portrait that we've, by just osmosis, have inherited. God is like some being out there in the sky that created the world, and every now and then, if we say our prayers, will intervene in the space-time world. Somehow he's so transcendent that he's not a part 
of our world. So we start with that portrait, and then we try to fit Jesus into that. It will never work. In other words, let me say this really quick. Jesus is the full revelation of God himself. And what we find is divinity is fleshed out. Divinity became vulnerable. Divinity was fleshed out in a little baby, in a little manger, at a very difficult time. Caesar, Luke tells us, is mapping out the world for domination. He issues attacks. Revolution is in the air. This is a geopolitical, in Luke chapter 2, it's a geopolitical um, um, dystopian event. People are experiencing social and political unrest and anxiety, and they don't know what to do. And it's in this context that God comes in the form of a baby. God with us as a baby. Luke will tell us, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to start with the portrait that, you, that I'm going to tell you about in my gospel of Jesus and divinity, and then you need to take all your other concepts of God and submit them to who Jesus is. Jesus, born in a manger. Jesus, we find, weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus, who groans over his best friend Lazarus, who died, and who Jesus brought back from the dead. Jesus, who was filled with compassion. The Greek tells us his bowels were literally moved with compassion because people were hungry, and because Jesus just loves people. Can I get an amen to that? That he takes five loaves and two fish, and he transforms five loaves and two fish and feeds 20,000 people. Jesus, who goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and sweats drops of blood. Jesus, who heals the leper. The leper comes up to Jesus. He's scared out of his mind. He doesn't know what God is like. He doesn't know what divinity is like. He's been told his whole life that he's ostracized, that he can't participate or be a fully functioning family member because of his skin condition. And yet he comes to Jesus, and Jesus, what does he do? He says, I'm going to heal you, and he touches the leprous skin of this man and heals them. This is Jesus. Who is divinity? Who is God? It's Jesus going to the cross on a Roman cross and dying for us. This isn't a detached, otherworldly, so holy, transcendent God who doesn't care about us. Christmas story tells us that we can have peace because God is like Jesus. Man, I wish I was in a Pentecostal church this morning. <laughs> God is like Jesus. Loves you in ways you can't even imagine. God with us, not above us, not just thinking about us. God at the restaurant. God with us, man, we're nine hours of binge watching the crown, right? Our eyes are blurry. God with us when we're sick. God with us when we're thinking about our future and we're afraid. God with us when we get a bad diagnosis. God with us when, man, our, our feelings are just upside down. God with us when our children are not making right decisions. Come on. God with us when there's cats in this world still, right? <laughs> God with us. And this is why we can have peace. Because God is with us. Heaven and earth are coming together. Jesus is the Savior. 
of the cosmos. God will put creation back to rights through his son, Jesus. And this is why the angels announce peace. So how do we enter this peace? How many of you want more peace? Philippians 4 tells us, if you could put up the scripture. Philippians 4, give me about five minutes and I'm gonna pray. Paul writes, this is, he's talking about anxiety. He says, the first thing you need to do, I don't really believe in formulas, but I think we have a pattern to disrupt anxiety in our life. Paul says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. He uses the, the present continual tense. So there's no expiration date, right? So it's like, I, Paul, I wish you could say, man, rejoice on Tuesdays and Sundays, right? Because there are a lot, how, come on, let's be honest. How many days do you, I mean, I'm sure there's some days you don't feel like rejoicing. But Paul says, man, there are gonna be days you're not gonna feel like rejoicing, but rejoice in the Lord always. No expiration date, right? I need expiration dates. I had a bad experience with milk because the expiration date was wrong and I drank sour milk. It changed my life. I need expiration dates, right? But there's not, it says always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying joy and as we get into peace, it's something that you have to practice. It's not something that's gonna happen automatically. There are gonna be days that you're gonna feel funky. You're gonna get up on the wrong side of the bed. Martin Luther said 500 years ago, feelings come and feelings are um, deceiving. But one thing I know, I'm gonna stake my life on God's word. So what Paul is saying is, hey guys, man, the pagans, they know how to throw a party, but we should throw a better party. We should rejoice not just sometimes, we should rejoice always. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Let's celebrate the fact that Jesus won the victory over evil, that Jesus won the victory over death, that heaven and earth now are colliding together, that we have hope, that we don't have to change the world because God has already changed the world through his son Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in your circumstances, not rejoice in, in how you feel, but rejoice in the Lord always, again I say, rejoice. And then he switches to verse five. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Well, Paul is saying, hey, here's the key. You gotta you got learn to practice joy. That means you gotta come, come to church on Sunday and even if you don't feel like it, you just need to, you need to sing. Like even if your body doesn't feel like it, you just come, you, you drag yourself, your kids, your pets, right, whatever. You bring them to church. That was a little bit weird, but come on, let's go with me. You, you come to church. You lift up your hands. You don't have to feel. See, the problem with our world, we've been trained to only do stuff if we feel like it. Man, joy is a choice, and when you practice joy in celebrating God's goodness, man, something begins to happen in you. And then we transition into, well, you got to let your compassion be known to everyone. Paul is saying something cryptic. He's essentially saying, hey, guys, the, the way you disrupt or put a full stop to anxiety and fear, right, you're not tall enough, right, I wish I was a baller, I wish I was taller, <laughs> right, you, you feel like you're not enough, how, how do you disrupt that in your heart? You got to practice a self-giving life. In other words, you, you can't think about yourself. 
See, self-absorption is rooted in fear. The reason why we're so selfish is because we're so afraid. And the reason why we're afraid is because we feel like this world uh, is, is absent of God's presence. But if you start from a different basic assumption that God is with us, that God is present in his son and through the work of the Holy Spirit, that can open your life to this self-giving life. And Paul says, practice compassion. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. There's two different tenses. I'm not going to get into it. The spatial tense I'll talk about right now. The spatial tense simply means that God is available anytime you need him. Can I get an amen to that? The Lord is at hand. Heaven is closer than you think. And then in verse 6 he says, okay, because you're rejoicing, you're practicing this uh, joy thing, because you're practicing a self-giving life, uh, you don't have to be anxious. These rapid-fire imperatives. You don't have to be anxious about anything. Paul, come on, come on, come on. Do not be anxious about anything. And then he continues, but this is how you, this is how you practice not being anxious about anything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What, what Paul is saying is that, hey, guys, prayer is more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Prayer is probably the greatest causal force in the universe. Why? Because God is behind it all. And everything that concerns you matters to God. If your heart is broken because the Cowboys are losing, just bring it to God. Does somebody like, God doesn't care about football? Yes and no, right? I, I don't think he cares about the Cowboys. I think he cares about the Patriots for whatever reason. But we, man, we got, we got to start from an assumption that everything, everything, ev turn to your name and say everything. Everything that's keeping you up at night, everything that you're thinking about in terms of your future, that not enough, that, that sense of scarcity, that fear, that worry, that anxiety, man, if that concerns you, it matters to God. And then he says, okay, you bring all your, your, your prayers, your concerns to God in prayer, let's go back to verse 6. With supplication, make, make it known to God. It's, it's funny how we just talk about all our problems to everybody else but God. Right? We just talk about our issues and we never go to God. Paul's saying you go to God first. You bring your prayer and supplications with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God. Thanksgiving is important for us to practice this is how we enter into God's peace. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I, you know, I got to end here, uh, wrote 50 years ago a, a book called Screwtape Letters. And it's about a devil and uh, his, his underling, his little acolyte. And uh, he's talking to this um, little devil about how they deceive humans. And this is what he said. And I think it's interesting um, about how it relates to anxiety and, and thanksgiving. He goes, it's funny how uh, mortals always have us putting things into their minds. They have this picture that we put things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Isn't it funny how what, what he's talking about is their, their best work is done by making us forget how good God is. When we come, in other words, I want to bring this full circle, when we come to God in prayer and supplication, 
We also have to come with thanksgiving because thanksgiving is a memory technique. When we thank God when we don't feel like thanking God, what happens? We start to remember how good God has been. Because the problem is as as humans, we have this unlimited capacity to lie to ourselves and to forget the best things, all the God things. Thanksgiving is essential with prayer. When you practice joy, when you practice a self-giving life, when you, when you bring every concern to God in prayer and you practice thanksgiving, Paul says in verse 7, and we end here and I want to pray with you, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying when, when you practice joy, when you practice thanksgiving, You enter into God's peace and God's peace stands um, or watches over your heart. Have you ever been in a situation where it's it's been really difficult and uh, you have no reason to believe that things are gonna turn out right, but inside you have this peace? Have you ever experienced that before? That's the peace that God wants to give you. God wants to give you his peace. John 14 tells us that peace is a gift that God wants to give us. And as we enter into his peace through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, and we get our eyes off of ourselves, and we practice a self-giving life and we practice joy and rejoicing and throwing a party. Hey, man, if the angels are having a party in heaven, because heaven now is flooding, God's glory is flooding into our space, man, I think we should have a party too. Said five of you in this room today. We should rejoice because Jesus has won the victory over evil itself. Here's the thing as I end. You can't get the peace of God without the God of peace. You can't get the peace of God without the God of peace. It's funny how we want peace, but we don't want God a part of our peace. Right? Presence, presence are great. Can I get any man to that? Presence, five of you think that, all right, all right, right. I like presence, but man, if you want peace, you need more than presence. You need more than an absence of, of conflict, right? What you need is God's presence. Not presence, but God's presence because it's in God's presence that he puts everything right in your life. The good news, and this is why we can rejoice, and this is why we can enter into God's peace, is because God is with us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday afternoon, right? Friday, Saturday, Of course, Sunday, God doesn't take Saturday off to watch football, right? He's still on his throne. God is with us. And you can enter his peace today. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.